Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. All right, we can talk now. Yeah. We're about to do 30 minutes of announcements. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys ready? So, good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing good? All right, cool. Well, I'm going to start out with praying. Because we're going to do a team preaching thing, and I've never done that, and she's never done that before. But we're, we're going see, to see how this goes. God, God's got a great word for us this morning. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're here in this place. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear, God. That you'd help Lauren and I to speak boldly and clearly. And God, that uh, you would just touch our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're finishing up our series, The Vow. And so hasn't it been great? Hasn't it been a great series on marriage? It's, um, just, I don't know. It's really encouraged me. Uh, it's really challenged me. So let's go over those, those uh, four vows that we covered. The vow of priority, the vow of pursuit, the vow of partnership, and the vow of purity. And so in this series, we, we've covered some crucial concepts for having a great marriage, for having a better marriage. Uh, for some of us, they've been great reminders of what we need to continue to do. Um, and then for some of us, the VOW series has maybe challenged us to start applying stuff that we've never done before in these principles in our marriage. And then there's some of us in this room who hear a series or or a message or read books about marriage, and it's exciting and it's life-changing, and you feel the momentum of doing something new, um, and then you start applying this stuff at home, and it's working, um, but then it wears off. Maybe it's a six-month cycle. Maybe it's a three-month cycle. Maybe it's a two-month cycle until you're actually just kind of back where you were before, just a rocky place in your marriage. Um, and then I realized, too, that this series could have been painful um, for some of you, um, because you're in a rocky place, you're in a hard place. And then maybe there's, there's some of you that have already given up in your marriage because there's just big walls that you're, you know, four principles that are not gonna, gonna help. Um, so to start out real quick before we get into our message, I wanna read through uh, what the quintessential wedding vows we all think of when we think of wedding vows. And maybe some of you quoted these um, in your marriage. And I didn't realize this, but this is actually from the Book of Common Prayer, which is, uh, was written by the Church of England, and it's from 1549, so it's medieval, so you know it's good. No, but uh, it sounds like this. Will you have this man to be your husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you learn to love him, comfort him, honor and keep him, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. Sound familiar, right? So we don't usually, when we're saying those, we don't anticipate or we're really not even thinking about having to tap into the sickness part, the poorer part, and the for worse part. But what happens when you do? So today, Lauren and I, we've got a message that we'd love to share with you. We're calling it Walking Through for Worse. And so what our heart is, is to give you hope by sharing um, what God's done in our marriage and hopefully give you some tools to move forward and uh, to give you hope. Um, so to start out, I want to talk about elephants. 
You ready? Because that makes sense. No, um, just bear with me, bear with me. All right, so did you know that elephants continue to walk the same paths when they migrate year after year? Uh, when we had our missionary, Grace Johnson, I don't know if any of you remember having her earlier this year. She's uh, our missionary in India. Uh, she was describing uh, some of her experiences around elephants and uh, in some of the territories that she was in. Elephants were terrorizing uh, villages because they built parts of their homes and they built parts of their towns on what they call elephant corridors. And so these are corridors that elephants instinctively travel, and they've traveled these for hundreds of years. Sometimes they even take a break from some of these trails, and then they come back to them. So people go, and they build houses, and the elephants come and, like, knock them down, like herds of elephants. So some of these pictures you can see, um, you know, you can build a road here, you can build a wall, you can build a city, and elephants are going to show up, because that's, that's what they do. That's where they, they travel. So in the end, um, the elephants went out. Whether it's a thatch roof house, a wooden structure, uh, whether it's concrete, actually, up here is uh, elephants just uh, knocking down a concrete wall. Um, but whatever it is, the elephants come and knock, knock it down again. Um, but as you can see, people are stubborn, and they just keep building stuff there. They rebuild, they reinforce, um, and then maybe they forget about it, and they move on. And then the elephants come, and they knock it back down again. The problem isn't what they're building, uh, it's where they're building, and it's the elephants. And so, for some of us in this room, that's how it feels uh, in our lives and maybe our marriage when we build and rebuild and we keep coming back to the same place because there's a big problem that we're ignoring. So, I kind of just want to uh, quickly tell you about our story, uh, and I'll start with me. I grew up in church in a relatively normal church-going home. Um, and uh, so, you know, we went to church. I grew up in church. I knew all about church. Uh, but at school when I was 10, I was exposed for the first time to pornography. And it was actually my buddy, Tony. He had stolen his, his dad's Playboy playing cards. Um, and from then on, I became hooked. And the rest of that group of friends, we all became hooked on finding pornographic material. Um, and we would find what we could find. It was actually a lot harder back then. Uh, we didn't have the internet like we do today. Uh, but when I was in middle school, our family got a computer with internet capabilities. And so it was all downhill from there. Um, and so as I grew up, I became more and more creative in finding this stuff and hiding it. So uh, even as I grew up in church, and I did, I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 12, I was still had this part of my life. I was diving deep into my addiction and my secret struggle. I knew that I was wrong. Um, I knew that it was sin. I knew I was a Christian, but I just couldn't quit. And then on top of that, knowing that I was a Christian, I couldn't let anybody know because I was so ashamed. Um, and so I lived addicted in secret through my teen years into my 20s. And I was doing the math on it, and it was you know over 20 years of that. Um, and I was... This, this split me in two because I was a different person alone than I was with people, um, especially people I loved. And uh, as Lauren and I were dating, I thought maybe once we got married, things would get better in this area, and it did for like a hot minute. Um, but I kind of went back to the same stuff. So I also thought that serving in church and doing all the devotions and the Bible study would erase it or curb it or make up for where I was failing, but it didn't. Um, 
I was also actually a worship leader here at that point. I was helping in youth. Um, I was serving as an interim uh, worship pastor at another church. So I was doing all the things. I was doing all the things. But really what I was doing, I was doing everything that I could possibly do to go around what I knew God wanted me to do. And that was to bring my sin to the light and get help. But because I was ashamed, I wanted to fight it in secret. And so I basically guaranteed that I was going to lose. Um, and secretly, you know, I mean, around everybody else, I was me. And, uh, but secretly, I hated myself. I didn't want to be alone by myself. The one person I didn't want to be around was me. And so people would distract me. And so I, I would use people as a distraction. I would use serving as a distraction. And then when I was alone, I'd use pornography as a distraction. And the thing is, is that I just felt like a phony on the inside. And I really was because I would, I would even lie about even struggling with it. I'd pretend like, oh, you know, when, when I'd have a friend say that they were struggling, be like, oh, man, you know, I feel for you, man. I, it's not my, not my fight. And uh, I was a hypocrite. So Lauren and I, we would, we would fight about intimacy, we'd fight about sex, we'd fight about the frequency, the availability, and how I was weird about my approach to it. Um, and so to combat that, I was trying to be a better husband in all the other areas, like being thoughtful, romantic, courageous, spiritual, but, and we would, we would rebuild and we would build, but then we'd always come back to fighting about how hard intimacy was in our marriage because there was an elephant that I wasn't acknowledging. Uh, there was an elephant I was hiding, and it kept wreaking destruction on us. Um, so at that point, I traveled a lot uh, with the power company, uh, which allowed me to be alone and go on uh, pornography binges for like a week at a time. And there was a point in our marriage, about five years into our marriage, I came back home from one of those trips, uh, just broken down and just ashamed. I was just crying out to God and just asking him, like, what's the point? Why am I even a Christian if you don't even have the power to, to get this sin out of my life? I even kind of wondered if I really was a Christian. Uh, I wondered if I could ever be forgiven. I didn't really even know, honestly, if anyone really loved me because I'd always presented a version of myself to everybody else, but I was somebody else in secret. Um, so I, I actually remember God saying to me as I was staring out my kitchen window, uh, have you had enough? And are you ready to do this my way? And so I said, yeah. So that evening, five years in our marriage, I started the process of confessing to Lauren my addiction to porn. And uh, I did it uh, in a really cowardly and messy way uh, because when you lie forever, when you lie and cover up, you, you almost believe your own lies. So even my confession was full of half-truths. And then I would leave and then God would tell me, no, go back and tell the whole truth, and I'd, I'd do that. And this happened multiple times, so it was really embarrassing. It really sucked. It was this whole unraveling. Um, but I was finally doing something different. I was finally doing something different, and that's what it took. And so uh, you might be thinking, geez, it was just porn. And if you fall in victim to that thinking, I hope this morning changes your heart. I know it's culturally acceptable. You might be fine with him looking at it. Maybe you're looking at it. Maybe you're watching it together. Um, but it was destroying our marriage. And in the first five years when I didn't even know about it, um, now looking back, I realized why we were constantly fighting about sex. Literally, it was the only thing we fought about. We didn't fight about money. We didn't fight about anything else but sex. And so um, turns out it was just never enough uh, because he was comparing me to porn, which is surprisingly a very high standard. 
porn says anytime, anywhere, exactly how you prefer it, without caring about the other person, you have a desire and it must be met. Now that is a recipe for disaster. So study after study shows that porn damages your view of sex, your view of your partner, your view of the quality of your sex life, your, body, your partner's image, guys and girls. Um, so I wanna read this article from Fight the New Drug. Um, it's an amazing online resource that has tons of research, research and articles um, about the damage that porn does. They share experiences from ex-porn stars and how it was not as consensual as you might like to think. Um, if you're not talking to your youth about it, you need to be, by the age of 13, most youth have already seen porn. Maybe you're internally freaking out that your youth are in this room right now, hearing this message. Um, more than likely, they've actually already seen the visual act of sex. So talking about it, <laughs> they need to hear it from a Christian perspective. Um, I know, because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid in here. Um, so uh, I'm going to read this uh, article real quick. It says, back in the 1950s, two Nobel Prize winning researchers did this. After figuring out which marks on the female butterfly wings were most eye-catching to the males, the researchers created their own cardboard butterfly models. They exaggerated the patterns on the wings to make them brighter and flashier than they had ever be found in nature. Essentially, they created the world's first butterfly supermodels. And as the males' butterflies fell for it, they went straight for the cardboard mock-ups and tried to mate with them, ignoring the real females that they had right in their plain sight. The males gave all their, all their attention to the exaggerated pictures. Sound familiar? Like the duped butterfly, porn consumers can be so obsessed with chasing flashy fantasies that they miss out on real life and real relationships. This is one of the big lies of porn, that you can have it both ways indefinitely, that you can enjoy the immediate, exaggerated gratification of thousands of virtual sex partners and also have long-term satisfaction of a real committed relationship. The truth is, porn can take a heavy toll on real life relationships. Many people report feeling distressed or hurt by their partner's pornographic consumption, but even if a partner has no issue with their significant other porn habit, it still damages the relationship, just like it was damaging ours, I didn't even know. In fact, research consistently shows that porn consumption associated with poor relationship quality and sexual dissatisfaction, the idea that porn is a personal decision that doesn't affect anyone else is simply not supported by all the research. So, in fact, uh, I was breaking all four of the vows we've been discussing, and so, um, you know, if anything, I just hope that this gives you hope because you can turn it around. So I was, I was violating the vow of priority. My fear of Lauren abandoning me and seeing me in a bad light kept me from dealing with my sin. Um, and then I also wanted and expect Lauren, uh, I expected her to fix my problems in our sex life and I'd, I'd placed her in my top spot. Uh, so my priorities were, were off. Um, I, she was my one instead of my two and God, I don't even know if he was anywhere in the mix at that point. But I was a believer, um, but I put Lauren before the Lord. So I was breaking the vow of pursuit because I wasn't pursuing her. I was pursuing sin secretly, and I was living isolated on the inside. I was violating the vow of partnership. I was keeping an entire area of myself closed off, but then I was expecting her to give all of herself to me. Um, I was violating the vow of purity. I wasn't being transparent. And I didn't trust her to love me through my mess. But then at the same time, I was violating her trust. And during this season, I also had Tim on a pedestal. I thought he hung the moon, that he was perfect, because when I'd ask him, um, do you struggle with porn? He would be like, oh, no. That, he, like he said, that's not my struggle. And I'd be like, oh. I have the most perfect husband. <laughs> yep. Wrong. No. <laughs> um, but when he lied to me, that, that broke my heart because I'd made him 
such an idol in my life. Um, not only was Tim addicted to porn, but he was a habitual liar. Uh, so to me, it was like, what else is he lying about? <laughs> he lies about this to me constantly. Um, so here's the three steps that Tim and I took to heal our marriage and move forward. We feel like this is what the, Lord, the path the Lord brought us on, and this is what worked for us. Yeah. So uh, before we get to those steps, I want to read through the scripture on how God defines love and calls us to love each other. And so what we had to do for us to move forward was um, we had to trade our idea of what we think love is for his. And so uh, Paul lines it out here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Is not proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Uh, so here you have step number one. You have to address the elephant in the room. Acknowledging the problem is actually a problem. Um, that was the first step for us to living through the worst. We talk about for better or worse in marriage, and we often think of that as physical health. You know, if my husband gets cancer, I'm going to stay with them. Or if they get super sick, I'm going to stay here. Um, but we don't ever think of it as like, is our, if our marriage gets really rocky, that's the for worse. Um, because often, man, if you spend any time on the internet, you see if anyone does anything wrong, people are like, divorce them, leave them. You know, end it immediately. Um, and so... When Tim's hidden sin came to light, I also wanted to divorce Tim. Uh, he, was, he had tormented me and held sexual stuff over my head for five years and made me feel like I was the worst wife possible. Um, and I would cry, and so I just felt like I was the worst. And that's really, on, you know, it's embarrassing to admit, you know. Um, but I felt like I didn't even know him. Acknowledging the elephant in the room is going to look different for each of you. For Tim, it was that uh, he was bringing his sin to light and seeking out help, and for me, it was not being okay with the elephant. Um, I think we often hear um, many, and I, both men and women are addicted to porn, but very often it's the man that is, so I'm just going with our situation. Um, but very often I hear women say, there's no hope, so they're okay with it. Like, they're never gonna quit, so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna be okay with it. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's time to acknowledge that there's an elephant in the room and not be okay with living that way. Yeah. Um, so it's not just that God wants this for your marriage, even secular studies, because fightthenewdrug.org is a completely secular website. It's not Christian-based. All of their research is all secular-based, and it, they all show that porn damages your relationship and your sexual um, aspect of your marriage. So... In fact, in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Our love is meant to be defined by truth and what's right, and it's time to not be okay with it. So to attack it head-on as a couple, for better or worse, in sickness and in health. So um, this first step can be incredibly hard. It was really hard for me uh, because it, it might just seem like a complete unraveling if you were anything like me and you had walls and... Uh, just lie after lie. I, I, I had to unravel myself. I had to unravel all of my lies. Uh, but I promise it's worth it. Uh, you can't deal with a problem that you're unwilling to acknowledge. It's just, like, it's just like the elephants in India. There's no building or reinforcing or getting around it that'll fix it. The elephant's going to keep coming back and keep knocking down all, all through its old pathways. So what do you got to do? You've 
you've got to deal with the elephant in your life, in your marriage, and it's time to do something different. Um, God promises healing when we confess our sins to him and each other. In James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So, we're going to go on to step number two. Uh, stop excusing the problem. So, you've acknowledged the problem's there, but you've got to stop excusing the problem, um, and that's committing to change. So, uh, sin is a hard issue. If you've cheated, if you have an emotional affair, a physical affair, if you're watching porn and you're trying to blame the quality or quantity of your intimacy as a reason you have permission to do that, you're wrong. Um, if you are using any reason to justify or explain sin, you're wrong. Because in order to really repent and change, if you really want to change, you've got to accept the weight and the responsibility of the damage that you've caused by your sin. I've sat in quite a few sermons, um, not here, but at other churches, um, uh, where they said if women would just have more sex with their husbands, then um, they wouldn't have to turn to porn. Um, and you can't imagine, if you know me, how much I had to bite my tongue in that sermon to not yell out, um, because that's really wrong. That's not biblically based. It's really wrong. And I've heard that, felt that. If you've heard that from your spouse or from the pulpit, I'm sorry, because sin is never qualified. Uh, David in the Old Testament had seven wives that we knew of and 10 concubines. And if 17 sexual partners is not enough, man, then I don't know what is. Because <laughs> he had all that he wanted and more, and he still went after someone else's wife. Um, and if you don't know who David is, David was, refer was referred to as a man after God's own heart. He wrote the Psalms in the Old Testament, and he was the king. And while his men were away at war, from his balcony, he watched a married woman, Bathsheba, bathe. And he eventually sent for her, and she became pregnant. And if you think about it, because I've also heard, well, porn's not even talked about in the Bible. In a way, David was Leslie watching some live-action porn. <laughs> and none of us read that story about David and are like, oh, it's fine. Because we're reading it, and we're thinking, this is a man of God. This isn't okay. None of us are okay with David and what David did with Bathsheba. But somehow, we've justified that watching someone else's nakedness on a screen is okay. And it's not. David proves this. It's not a quantity issue. It's not an availability issue. It's a heart issue. And the devil wants to create division in this area. It's easy. It's one of those areas that you can always want more. It's similar to money. You could have a million dollars. You know what? Two million would be very nice. Um, I'm not shaming you. This is something we've walked through. Um, this is just meant to bring this to light. And if you've been unfaithful, mentally, physically, it's not, this isn't just about porn. For us, this was about porn. Um, but maybe you've had an emotional affair with someone that you work with. Maybe you've had a physical affair. Um, all of those things. Um, you need to take ownership. If you're still blaming your partner for the reason you've sinned, uh, you're still giving the devil an end in your life. And it's going to always be something you cycle back to because you're not fully taking responsibility. And one of the hardest days was when we went to see our pastors. We were living in Fort Worth at the time. And as I sat there betrayed, had already decided that I was going to divorce him. Um, they asked me a question, and I know some of you guys have heard our story, um, but they said, the way they phrased it was, could you ever forgive Tim? And I was like, well, ever, yeah, someday. Someday I'm going to get over it. I'll move on because I'm very forgetful, if you know me. <laughs> I'm forgetful, so I like 100% know. I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to forget it eventually, you know. Um, so it was like, yeah, yeah, I could, I'm going to forgive him someday. 
And I felt like the Lord whispered, then why not today? And it was like, yeah. <laughs> and the Lord was right. It was like, I could hold this grudge and ruin my life for holding this grudge against him and have to go find someone else, someone who also is maybe addicted to porn statistically. Um, and so I just felt like the Lord just melted my heart because really I was doing exactly what he was super fearful of. He was so fearful that I would abandon him, that I would leave him, that I would reject him. And man, I was walking that path. And thank goodness the Lord changed my heart in that instance. Um, the difference in my walk through this that I see that a lot of couples don't walk this way. Again, not to shame you. Because forgiveness with anything that's big, we often want people just to move on. Hey, I already said I'm sorry. Can you let it go? I've heard that. Just want them to move on. I don't want it to be brought up again. Can't she just move on? Can't he just move on? Um, but thankfully, the Lord isn't that way with forgiveness. When we ask for forgiveness from the Lord, he's a one and done guy, thankfully. But as humans, um, we're not. So part of excusing the problem is that forgiveness, part of not excusing the problem is forgiveness and repentance are kind of continual. I've had two C-sections. Um, both our two children and an Elias. And when you perform that surgery, um, they literally cut you in half. Um, and then they re-sew you together. And through that cut muscle, they try and keep it small, but it's still, you know, six inches. They pull out the baby just to keep it fun, you know, keep it light. Um, Elias was 10 pounds almost. So he, that boy was big. That was the first thing the doctor said when he pulled him out. He was like, oh my gosh, he's ginormous. <laughs> And he still is. Um, Sorry. So, yes. So um, the following weeks of that surgery, laughing hurts, sneezing hurts, everything hurts. Every time you stand up, sit down, try and roll in bed, you can feel that tug where you've been cut in half. You know, scar tissue builds up as it starts to heal. And from then on, for a long time, every time you raise your arms or if you try and lay on your stomach because you haven't got to do that in 10 months, um, you can feel that pull. You can feel that friction there, and it's tight, and it reminds you of that pain, and it kind of scares you because you're like, how, you know, it could be two months down the road, and you're like, am I healed? If I pull too much, am I going to rip this thing in half? And, you know, so you're just really scared, and removal of sin is similar to surgery. Surgeries leave scars. You can, you can remove that sin from your life. We can remove the porn. You can ask for forgiveness about the affair, but there's still going to be some scar tissue there. And of course, we want there to not be. We want there to be like, ah, I said I'm sorry, let's move on. Um, but so often, there is some scar tissue and it's tight. Every time you raise your hand or maybe you try and start working out again, you can feel that it's tight. And as, you, as time goes on, you do get to break down scar tissue and it does get more movable and workable. Um, but there was days where down the road, a year down the road, years, here we are, 10 years down the road because we've been married for 15 years this year, there's days that I would have, be having a bad image day, and I would be like, you know what? Today I'm just kind of pissed off about it. That I think, then you know, it's sometimes you just struggle, and I'd be like, I feel like maybe you prefer prettier women, thinner women, you know, that aren't me. And I was like, it just, some days I'd be like, man, excuse me, huh? but that just pissed me off. And thankfully, he would say, I'm sorry I betrayed you. He didn't demand that I moved on, because he knows I'd hurt him. No. <laughs> yes. I love you. Um, but he would say that he was sorry, and that he had, you know, he had lied for years. 
so our whole dating life had been for the first five years of our marriage. Um, so we were really on a journey of healing, and it wasn't going to happen overnight. And for us, this is something we walked to, walk through together um, as healing. So, um, you know, in a way, if I had resented her anger about it, I would be excusing myself from the damage I caused instead of accepting it. Um, and what I decided that if I was really sorry when I came clean, then I'm still sorry now because it, the, the damage was still done. My sorry didn't erase the damage. Um, and the only way for us to, to heal was for us to continue in repentance because uh, repentance is not just an apology. It's a complete change in direction. And so this is what the Bible has to say about repentance in 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So the world's sorrow grieves the consequences. I could have just grieved the consequences, tried to minimize the damage. Um, you know, the world's sorrow grieves getting caught uh, but God's sorrow grieves over the sin itself and the heart behind it. And thankfully, God's sorrow leads us away from sin. But, you know, it's not like she was beating me over the head with it. But when she brought it up, it, it hurt again. And um, I had to get better at dealing with that. Um, so, but that's, that's the power of God's grace. And I was able to start dealing with that securely uh, because I could, I could be sorrowful about that sin. I could be grieved by it, but I knew I wasn't defined by it anymore. Uh, because that's, that's how God's transforming grace works. I'm not living there anymore because he's forgiven me and he's led me away from that dark place. And so I could be secure in saying, yeah, I'm, I'm still sorry about it. I, can, I could deal with my failures in a secure way. Uh, and I, could, I can still say for the rest of my life, I'm sorry for that. But I know because of God's grace, I'm not living there anymore. And so that's, a, that's an important step in moving forward is dealing with your failures in a, in a secure way. And the only way is through the grace of God. So let's uh, go to step number three, reach out for help. Um, so you've committed to change. You're addressing the issue. But a big part of walking that out is reaching out for help. Um, so you've got a problem. You want a different result than you've always got. So you've got to do something that you've never done before. And for a lot of that, uh, us, is that's, that's reaching out for help. So you've got to think, this big thing in your marriage, it's like that elephant. It's walked that path over and over and over. So to do something different, you've got to pack up and move. You've got to move out of the way of that path. Get as far away from there as you can. And you can't do that on your own. So um, Bringing your sin to light to somebody, confessing to somebody, being accountable to somebody is, is one way to get help. Uh, you can go and get help as a couple like we did, uh, whether that's counseling or getting together with a spiritually mature couple that's been through some stuff that, that really helps. Time and experience really helps in this um, stuff. Maybe it's joining a life group with some other married couples from our church. For me, uh, personally, I had to go to some individual counseling. And then I had to apply the things that, that I was learning. I had to put into practice some advice I was given about accountability software. Um, I submitted to regular and consistent accountability in my life. And then I started to experience a level of freedom that I'd only dreamed of in this area because I didn't think it was possible. 
but it wasn't overnight either. It, it was work. It was a lot of work. Uh, I had slips and failures along the way, but then I had to keep dealing with it in the new way of dealing with things, which was bringing that to the light and continue to be vulnerable with my accountability and Lauren. Um, because the fact is that some of the, the addiction and hurt and old patterns, um, you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. You're going to continue to work on those things for the rest of your life. And so I just want to say it took a really long time to build back the trust that I destroyed. Um, so even though I'd come to the point where I'd had enough and I was committed to change, she didn't immediately see it. So, I mean, because she didn't have any reason to trust me. She didn't. So I had to accept that the goal was not for her to be okay with me again or to even trust me again, but the goal was for me to become someone who could be trusted. So, and, and that was hard, and I needed help with that because I couldn't just quit because she didn't see the change yet and she was still dealing with the anger. I had to continue and I had to push through that. I had to keep going so that she could see something worth trusting in. And so I had to reach out uh, with counseling and support to get encouragement for that because that's just not something that she could give me at that point. So don't give up. It really is worth it. Yeah. Um, and accountability doesn't work if you don't put in the work. You have to be committed to the change. And it reminds me of Randy's sermon a couple weeks ago where he, David in the Psalms says, Lord, don't let me slip up. You do it, Lord, not me. Um, it's Psalms 119, 9 and 10. That was uh, Lauren's version. And so here's the rule. It says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word, I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Um, the hard thing is, is the Lord isn't going to keep you from sleep, slipping up. You can go back to your old ways, and when you do, you do have to come clean. Tim would come to me when he had slipped up, and some days my heart was soft, and I would immediately be like, you know, I, you know, I get it, because I obviously, I mean, porn's not my struggle, but there's other things that I struggle with, and I slip up. Um, so, you know, those days I would, you know, forgive him. And then other days my heart was really hard, and it would make me mad. <laughs> and, of course, I would still forgive him, um, because I've been forgiven. Uh, I'm not letting him off the hook, but I just felt like, you know, this is something we decided that we we're going to walk through as a couple, and I knew this is what part of the process was going to be. Porn is everywhere. So I'm not, you know, I realized that there are mistakes are going to happen. It's everywhere. It accidentally happens. That's how most teens see it is by accident. They're not seeking it out. Um, so, you know, but often we think of free, like we just want the Lord to set us free from it, is to never have to work on it again. Um, and honestly, I did not fully understand that until I realized that I am a food addict. <laughs> and I really started to understand Tim's addiction more, where it was like, it's going to be a constant walk. I don't know if you're like me. I just wanted to die at once and then never have to lose the weight again. And it's just, I did it and check it off. And I realized that that's just not the way it works. And that's not the way this is going to work for us. It's going to be something he's always continually working on, always putting up safeguards, always continually seeking to stay pure in this area. Um, and so I have to be okay with that because that also means there's going to be times where he maybe slips up um, and things happen. Um, so I think we often think that it's just going to be done. Lord, free me from it. And I'm never gonna have to think about it again, but it's just, it's just not the way it is. Yeah, so um, this is where the for, for worse kicks in from those vows. You know, she's, she loved me through my for worse point, and uh, I'm so thankful for it. She loves me at my for worse because she had hope for my better. Um, and she's committed to love me. She's committed to my good. 
and she expects better of me, and that helps push me. And so this is the kind of love that God calls us to. I'm going to go back to that verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 7. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. And I do want to have a disclaimer. If you have someone who is cheating on you, having an affair, um, or continually looks at porn, and they don't care, um, this sermon isn't for you. I'm not trying to talk you into staying in an abusive relationship physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's not being like, hey, you just stay with them. Because like I'm saying, I stayed with Tim, but he was also repentant and he wanted to change. So that's a really big, just just so you know, I'm not trying to say, hey, you just stay with them. It doesn't matter what they do. <laughs> you know, he has to ever have a repentant heart. So Yeah. So um, as we kind of walked through this, there was a point after a long period uh, where I w- wasn't struggling. And then I started to notice a six-month pattern for me of being okay and then not being okay and struggling with this and then being okay again. So I started praying about it uh, and talking to Lauren. And so I got connected to an organization called There's Still Hope. And we'll put that up on the screen at the end. Um, but they deal with the, deep, uh, the deep-seated the deep issues of addiction. And so I got back into counseling. And then I went through a 12-step program. And guess what? It really helped me. Uh, and now I'm walking in a whole nother level of freedom and consistency uh, because I had, some, I had some deeper issues that I needed to deal with and I wasn't gonna get there on my own. Um, and so sometimes this is a, looks like a process for a lot of us. Um, so that, that may be true for you. As you walk this out, as you decide to take steps forward, you might get to a point where you need to reach out for more help or different help, and that's okay uh, because that's how committed you have to be in repentance, you gotta be willing to do whatever it takes to continue going in the right direction. Um, you can't just decide, I'll, I'm gonna only do this, and if this doesn't work, I quit. You've gotta keep going, you've gotta, you've gotta do what it takes to keep going in the right direction. So, I'm gonna summarize the three points real quick. Um, but here's the deal, the truth is, is every marriage is gonna come to a for worse part. And you might be past it, thank God, or you might be in the middle of it, or maybe you're just not there yet. But our hope is that from our story and what God's done in, in our marriage, that you'll have hope for that, um, and that you can take these steps and, and use them as tools to help you address the big elephants in your marriage. Uh, you know, stuff that just seems impossible. Look, like, it's, it's possible. It's possible to get free. It's possible to heal your marriage. So, Step number one, you've got to address the elephant in the room. You've got to acknowledge that the problem really is a problem. Step number two, you've got to stop excusing the problem. You really have to commit to change. And you've got to commit to doing whatever it takes to change and to continue to change. And step number three, you've got to reach out for help. Because a lot of times you cannot do it on your own. I mean, honestly, the fact is you really can't. It's not just sometimes. You cannot do it on your own. That's how God made us. God made us to be in fellowship with each other, to support each other, to love each other, not to be isolated. And then uh, we wanted to share the resources we talked about. Um, There's stillhope.org and fightthenewdrug.org. Of course, uh, we're here. Tim and I are here. Um, We are an open book, as you can see. Uh, you can ask us anything. Uh, we would talk to you about anything. That's just how we are. And if you have um, life groups are going to be forming in the fall, I hope you will join one because um, I think community and people that know you for who you truly are is really important. 
Uh, we have Second Adams Lodge. They meet once a month. That's our men's meeting. Um, and then they have some small groups. So I encourage you to go to that. And then we have Nurture starting um, uh, a Bible study in the fall. Um, don't let this just go in one ear and out the other. I just pray that you take this and you start to attack it um, to get healing. And there is hope, you know, because like I, I know I've been there. When he told me five years ago, I would say it took another five years for us to really get free from it. Um, but thank God we're free because we would never be standing up here if he hadn't, you know? So. So um, today we feel strong that the Lord wants to set some people free. So. We're gonna get a little uncomfortable and real because that's just how we, that's how we be. That's how we are. We're uncomfortable and we're real. So uh, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up. So, you know, maybe you've been living with the elephant. Uh, maybe you've been building around the elephant. Maybe you've, you keep building stuff. You get excited about new teaching. You, you get excited about new concepts and you keep getting knocked back down to where you were before. And it's because there's something that you're not dealing with in your marriage. And maybe you've been blaming your partner for your sins. The Lord wants to set you on a path of freedom. And so to begin the process of healing your marriage, the first big step is admitting that you've got a problem. And I'm not just talking porn. It's any area of your life, whether it's gambling, maybe it's a drinking addiction, maybe it's just pride. Maybe you're manipulative and controlling and that always brings you back to the same place in your marriage. Um, and so what we want is for you to come forward and get prayed for. Uh, Lauren and I are gonna stand down here in the front and Randy's gonna close in prayer, uh, but we're gonna have some of our prayer team and elders, if y'all are available in the room, uh, come up here and we're just gonna pray for you. And so I'd encourage you to take a step, take a step, I know, it kind of singles you out, but take a step forward and come come pray with us, because um, when you're when you're stepping out, you're proclaiming physically with your body, no more. And if this whole sermon, your stomach's been churning, and you know that it's that's you, uh, and you know that this was for you, we really want you to come forward. Um, we don't want you to miss this opportunity. This is your moment to come to terms with this and and move forward. And we, it's not to condemn you, it's not to single you out or or shame you. It's you know, this is what we're about in the kingdom of God. We're about freedom, and we're about hope. So, Randy. Jesus' first words were that he came to set the captive free. He said, I have come to set at liberty those that are bound and to release the captives and God wants you to be free. Jesus died so that we could be free. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful for the victory that you have purchased for us. When we are weak, you are strong. Lord, you said that if we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you would exalt us in due time. There is a pathway to healing and victory and recovery, and you made it possible. And Lord, as we come to you, we ask you, Lord, today to set people free from pornography. Set people free from the addiction. 
of pornography that is haunting our, li our lives and this land. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. 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 I still love you. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.